Super Talk Mississippi media production. If you're feeling anxious about your investments with all the economic volatility and chaos in Washington, tune in to Super Talk Jackson on Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m. and Sundays from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. for Element Wealth Radio with Jeremy Nelson. Learn more at myelementwealth.com. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no words, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. You have become an avid listener on this radio show and podcast, which I appreciate, by the way. You know, I always feel especially close to home when I have a fellow singer-songwriter on with me. I'm always fascinated. You know, I'm fascinated by hearing their story, their struggles and journey to success. Today's guest is no exception, as he is one of... I mean, he's just really very talented, prolific tunesmith indeed. His songs, best I can explain, have heart. As in anthems like Brad Paisley's Waiting on a Woman and Daryl Worley's Timely Have You Forgotten, and there's so many more, as he always seems to portray something extra heavy that every man, woman, and child can understand. And that makes you as a listener step back and reflect. Looking forward to spending an entire Mississippi Minute with this man, so let's get it on. Say hello to hit country music songwriter, Wynn Barble. What's up, Wynn? What's going on, Steve? Where are you? Tell me you're in a parking lot. What's going on in the parking lot? I'm in Columbia, Tennessee, yep. I'm uh, about 30 miles from the house, well, about 20 miles from the house up there, and uh, I had to bring my wife to get some brakes put on her truck this morning. You know, we call it mule duty, so you're on, you're on, on duty this morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm in Mule Town, Mule Capital of the World. So. I love it. I appreciate you, man. It's, it's so good to catch up. I'm, I'm looking forward to just you sharing the stories behind uh, your journey to Nashville and when it all sort of started making sense and working out. And uh, take take me back uh, to growing up. Where, where where were you born? Where were you raised? I was. I grew up in Georgia. Uh, I was probably. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I probably started wanting to p- play a little music when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old. And my, um, I got me a banjo. I thought I wanted to be a banjo picker. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't ever figure it out. And um, so I put that up. And I, I still piddled with it. But uh, my my dad used to go down to this neighbor's house on Saturday night. He picked and sang a little bit. And they'd just they'd crack them open a jug of whiskey. And they'd sit there and... And this old boy would sing and pick, and the old man would just, you know, listen. And they'd drink, have him a sip, and old Ned Smith would play all that old Sonny James and Marty Robbins. Hmm. He had an old Sears silver, silver tone uh, hollow body in his closet. Strange was way up off the neck, and 
I said, show me how to pick, pick a chord. My old man dragged me along sometimes. So he showed me an E chord and a G chord and all that mess. And showed me how to pick Wildwood Flyer and Folsom Prison Blues. And I was off for the races, man. I loved it. I don't, you know, it's funny you're talking about that. I don't know what it is about. Like my dad, my dad opened the first legal liquor store in Mississippi. And, and I fell in love at 11 or 12 years old behind the store. And it, it was influenced by uh, Wild Irish Rose wine with this man named Eugene Powell. <laughs> I mean, it was awesome. And he was, he's a great blues legend, and he became a big mentor of mine. But it was there, uh, you know, in that situation with Postman and all that coming to hang out and listen. That, isn't, it, yeah. isn't it funny? I mean, uh, I guess you give somebody a cocktail and a, and a, and a guitar. <laughs> well, I tell you, they, they just seem like they had such a big time and and my my dad he couldn't play a radio, but he loved music more than anybody I ever seen. And he he'd listen to a record and he'd pick out little parts like the steel and the fiddle, and he'd say, "Listen to that," you know. Mm-hmm. He just uh, he had great attention to detail when it came to music, even though he couldn't play any. In that in the crazy the fan the the how far a person will go uh, to to love music and to understand it. I love it. I just love that. We're talking to Wynn Varble. So Wynn, you grew up in a small town in Georgia you grew up in? Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was east of Atlanta there a little bit and uh it was kinda of between Atlanta and Augusta and it was uh it was pretty you know, it was pretty you know, I grew up in the sixties and seventies and um it was uh it was a lot different then, I tell you, man. I I look back, you know, of course it seemed it didn't seem <clears throat> old timey then, but I look back and I think, dang, things sure have changed since then. You know? I know, you know, you think about it. You grew up in a time where you saw Atlanta blow up, and now you're in the middle of this in crazy invasion into Nashville. So just watching those, being a small town boy like I was as well, watching watching uh, the growth of a city around you or 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 when you're living in it or or close to it um it's crazy i mean it's crazy what's going on there right yeah i remember uh i left i left georgia when i was about 17 years old i had a little brush with the law and i I thought i I was in a lot of trouble i kind of vamoosed but i (laughs) i really wasn't really wasn't nothing it's just some little stuff but uh fighting and carrying on but you know it was um I, I, I remember when the, I came back to Georgia in the mid '80s, and, and Atlanta had, like you said, exploded. And it was always big, I thought, but they had gum, man. It was like crazy. And Nashville's the same way now. It's uh, I've seen the traffic. Just, I mean, I tell everybody I used to live an hour from town. Now I live an hour and a half from town, and I didn't move. <laughs> so uh, it's just that's how bad the traffic's got, you know. I tell you, man, I love it. Well, so so when you moved to Nashville, were you were you always living out out in the outskirts, uh, just to sort of no, keep your sanity, uh, or no? I lived out in Donaldson, which is you know where Donaldson yeah. is, right? You know, five five or eight miles from downtown. But uh, I lived out there. I got me a little apartment out there when I first moved there in '92, and then uh, uh, lived out in Antioch area there for a little while, and. Uh, Finally, uh, me and Daryl Worley got us an apartment over in, in uh, Hermitage, and we lived out there for about three years. And then I got married. And uh, you didn't I, bring you, you didn't know, bring Daryl with you when you got married? No, no, he had his own. He Daryl had women trouble, and I did too. So I said, let's just uh, 
<laughs> go our separate ways. He's still a great friend. Oh, we yeah. wrote a ton of songs together, you know, back then. And uh, matter of fact, Daryl was, uh, there was one time when Daryl got let go of his writing deal somewhere. I can't remember where he was at, but, uh, and me and a couple of buddies, we all got together and we wrote up a bunch of songs with him and we said, we're going to get you another writing deal. And that, that ended up turning into his record deal with, uh, DreamWorks and everything. I so, love it. Man, I love, look, Daryl's a buddy, man. I mean, I tell you what, I'll never forget. The, the, so you were running from what you thought was bad fighting and all that growing up. And heck, man, when, when we'd go to Indianola, which was just a whatever, any town in the Delta you go to, you had to fight your way in if you were trying to date one of the girls. So that was the deal. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we were sort of used to it. But but I tell you what, um, Daryl gets on my bus one time. We're doing some shows. You know, we, we did quite a bit of shows together on the same bill along the lines. Uh, and, and he comes on. He's got this look in his eyes. And I said, what's wrong? He goes, I got to tell you what happened last night. And he's still bewildered. And after he told me, I was really bewildered, like who would do it? He said him and his dad who, and his brother, who are bigger than him. So for people that have never seen Daryl Worley, which I know you have, you had to up. And you just go, <laughs> he's about what, you say six, six? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Big, long, long. And it's like he said, these three guys uh, just decided that they wanted to pick a fight with us. And I'm going, he's going, well, I guess I just got to get it on. And I'm going like, man, I said, what three idiots? It's be like climbing three large oak trees and hoping the fire department <laughs> shows up, you know? <laughs> to get you out yeah <laughs> what you climbed them yeah that's a that's a bold that's some bold folks right there man i love it i love well well let's talk about yeah. with you and daryl um okay first of all before we get to that because have you have you forgotten was man i i mentioned timely it was beyond that uh and I just love the way you write. And people that I've known, like Mark Allen Springer and worked with for so many years, they always talk about you and your heart and just you got that extra thing. Um, I think growing up in a small town, uh, sort of the, your sense of humor and your wit and your, and your ability to tap into to things that are, that are so simple and beautiful and honest. And the whole world wants to hear it. I mean, I just think that that's been the blessing of growing up in, in, in areas and 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 soft-spoken towns that uh that just have amazing the ability to have big words you know and and say it in such a way that like i said every listener just goes yeah you know and and that's the gift but how old were you when you you say 92 how old were you when you made made the exodus and made it into nashville i was uh i was 32 so i thought i was old when i moved there older yeah i was 27 uh, or 28 yeah, I wish I sure wish I'd have got here quicker, but uh, you know, good Lord works out like it's supposed to be. And I, um, I met Daryl like probably a year and a half, two years after I moved here. I was I signed with Starstruck Publishing, and uh, me and then Daryl was hanging out over writing with some of the writers, and uh, we just struck up immediate friends and um, started writing songs together. And, and uh, I had his first single, uh, "When You Need My Love." Yeah, me and him wrote together, and um, and I had a few in the middle, and I had uh, his last one, I guess, was uh, "Sounds Like Life." So, great song, great song. We're talking. We had we had, we had some good luck together, man. Uh, I love it. I love. It. We're talking to the fabulous Win Barble. You're in a Mississippi minute. He's in a parking lot, being a good husband, getting his wife's car <laughs> taken care of. We're gonna be right back. In a 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Imagine a dirt road full of potholes with a creek bank. And some I'm Steve Azar. We are with hit songwriter, multiple, multiple hit songwriter, Glenn Varble. He's in a parking lot. I always like talking, uh, I always like putting uh, a place, a sense of place with my guests. Man, I've had them all over the place, but I love you being in a parking lot. That's good. At least you're not driving and talking. Hey, so well, so when? No distractions. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know, I know. So tell me, um, you and Daryl start having success. When? When is it your first cut that you go, oh, yeah? How much time went in? Uh, was, was your first cut a, a, a hit? And and how much? If it, if not, how much time uh, went by till you had that first breaking song? Um, well, I, they said they when I moved here, they told me it was a five year town, you know. And uh, I think they changed it now to a ten year town, but yeah. back then it was a five year town. <laughs> it was uh, it was almost it was almost exactly five years before I heard my first song on the radio. My first cut was on a was on a group called Perfect Stranger. Oh yeah, yeah. And they had a they had a song called You Have the Right to Remain Silent or something like that. That was like the only hit. But I had a song on that record and uh then I had a couple other cuts and then um I had a Sammy Kershaw single called Fit to Be Tied Down that came out and uh almost exactly five years to when I moved <laughs> here and uh I thought, dang, somebody's got this figured out. But um so it went to like 12 or something, and it was, you know, it was great. I got to hear my first song on the radio. It was something you'll never forget, you know, as you well know. Yeah, no, no, no. I was in Madison, Wisconsin. I'll never forget. And I was riding, leaving a radio station, and I went. And we had just left, and and the guy, the the, the PD there loved the record and, and started playing it while we were leaving the parking lot back in the, it was, wow. and I said, man. So when you heard you heard it your first time, uh, would you? Where were you? Would you? How, you know? How'd it feel? Well, um, the first time I heard a piece of it was uh, I was I was taking my boat out of the lake over at Percy Priest. I'd been over a crappie fishing that morning, and um, <clears throat> there was a guy, and I had the door open and the radio, the key turned back with the radio crank because like I was just steady listening, trying to hear it, you know? and um, it and. and, and like a tail end of it was on when I <laughs> cranked, you know, truck up, and this guy next to me was putting his boat in. I wanted so bad to tell him that's my song on the radio, but I knew he didn't care. So Crappy <laughs> 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 fish. The, the first time I heard it, the whole way through, I was over in East Tennessee with my wife's parents, and uh, I always said the first first time I ever get me a, I ever hear my song on the radio, I was going to pull off and get me a tall boy and Miller Light and celebrate. But I was in the car with her parents and they were pretty strict church Christ, so I just enjoyed it without the Miller Light. I love it. <laughs> plans, man, our plans. You know, it's funny how they, they work out when they want to. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it was great. I mean it was it didn't that didn't make any difference. Oh, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. We're talking to Wynn Varble. He has written so many hit songs and uh and one of the good guys. Uh, so when uh, you and Daryl, you strike up this relationship, how, how did you how did you guys meet? Well, we met over Starstruck. He was over writing songs with uh, Mark Sanders. And uh, I thought, who's this long-legged rascal? Look at this 
spider leg looking dude, dude, you know. And uh, he, we got talking one day, and uh, we just we just were immediate buddies, and uh, had a lot of stuff in common. Grew up a lot the same way, and um, so we uh, we wrote songs for probably golly, I don't know five or six years, and. He finally, you know, got a record. He had a record deal with Giant, and they went out of business. And that was with Stroud, too. So yeah. when Stroud started up with uh, DreamWorks, and, and he signed Daryl again, and, uh, and and he popped this time. So uh, it was it was fun watching all that happen, too. You know, I mean, of course, you know, one of his best friends, <clears throat> seeing him, you know, his dreams come true, and, and, and yours, too, because, you, you know, you're out in the middle of it. Well, it's like it's like still it's like playing. I always related it to playing sports in high school, or you had it. You had that. You know, you could had something to celebrate together. There was uh, multiple multiple victories going on within different households, and when you can, you know, when you can be such a, especially songwriting, because you you have to you have to bear it all. You're so close to that person, um, closer than you'll ever get. You know, it's amazing, yeah. and uh, no, the celebration's amazing. Uh, it, it's you have to strike up that. I'm just interested because in hearing you say that because with me, they really you know you you meet somebody and you just go in and write and sometimes you're lucky because you really you really hit it off but sometimes you, you're friends before it, you ever break the pins out you know and yeah. Uh, oh yeah and it's good it, it it's good that it can happen both ways but it needs to happen where you're able to open up to each other and and fight for each other. And I just, yeah, exactly. I love yeah. that. Well, so, okay. So let's talk about, have you forgotten? Let's skip on over. I remember okay. where I was nine 11. I was getting ready. We had, that was when I don't have to be me to Monday was released the day before we had the number one wow. most added record in the land. And I'm sitting here going like, okay, it's finally happened. And, but always cautiously optimistic you know what i mean because you, know, yeah. you know we were in the we've been we've been banged up before and we thought things were rolling uh yeah. so i remember uh where i was sitting on our red couch which we still have and i was packed and ready to go to iowa about to go to the airport and uh on a radio tour and with you know with all of this enthusiasm and op and optimism for the future and mercury records was jumping up and down and here we go and and all of a sudden that 911 happened and obviously not much mattered except for that you know and yeah. and i remember not moving for i think i didn't move for a day or two and i, I think if i look back and reflect i really think it was for the right reasons that i was i was totally in um and concerned and you know it, it hurt so daryl always wore the stripes man he wore them you know he he was you know he was vocal about it he you know he wore our colors you know he's he's a patriot you guys yeah. what was the tell me did, did you call him he called you when have you forgotten well, it how it happened it was about a year after it was about a year and a few months after 9 11 Right. He went on this USO tour over there, and uh, he came back, and it, it was still Christmas break. It was about yeah, December 29th, or you know maybe January. You know, it wasn't everybody in the music business was still taking the break, and he called me, and he, me and him had planned on writing this song called "We Don't Know How Lucky We Are," because uh, 
both our dads served, and, and we had so many kinfolk that, that served this country. Mm-hmm. And there, when, when me and Daryl came up, there just wasn't nothing going on. You know, the Vietnam was over, and it was just kind of like so we didn't we didn't you know serve, and we were just talking about we should write that song. And we got over there that morning. He said, "Hey, you want to come over and write this song?" And I said, uh, "Yeah, let's give it a whirl." So I went over there and we got to hammering out on this thing, and we just couldn't get nothing working, you know. And we got talking about the people protesting the war in Afghanistan on the news and stuff. And I said, "I said, you know, Daryl, I said my dad didn't he remember Pearl Harbor till the day he died, you know." Mm-hmm. And I said. It just seems like everybody's trying to sweep this under the rug, like it never happened, you know. And I said, it makes me want to grab them protesters and shake them and say, have you forgotten what them people did to us, you know? Mm-hmm. A year ago, but just barely over a year ago. And they uh, all said, we should write that. Have you forgotten? And I said, well, let's do that. And uh, mm. so we just, we just put what we were feeling down in, in a song and we went over to Love Shack and did a little demo on it. It was just a little guitar vocal. And uh, that weekend, Daryl wanted to do it on the opera. And, uh, I love that. His manager his manager told him, no, it's too political that you don't need to do that on the opera. And uh, <laughs> he played it for his dad and his dad said, you're damn right you're going to play that on the opera. People <laughs> need to hear that. Uh, and I'm glad he listened to his dad instead of his manager. You know? Yeah. When? When you, uh, you know, you know, I know you grew up in Georgia, and uh, we like yep. we in Mississippi is the birthplace of American music, so you have to accept that right now since it's my radio show. <laughs> no, but listen, um, I, we always get to have a little fun, play a little DJ. Would you like to hear a little Faith Hill or Chris Ledoux? Man, I'd take the Chris Ledoux. Be honest with you. All right, that's what we're gonna do. I hear Faith Hill all the time. <laughs> If I'd have said, would you like to look at Faith Hill or Chris Lidu, you know, maybe the story well, would have changed everything. Yeah, right? yeah, it'd have changed it all. We're with, we're with hit songwriter <laughs> Wynn Varble. He's in a parking lot in Columbia, Tennessee. You're in a Mississippi <laughs> Minute, and that's how we roll. We'll be right back. Well, we gave all the cows away, and now the only horns around here today are the ones up on the grill of a genuine 59 Coupe de Ville. They're parking cars in the old bee patch There's a bar in the barn and the place stays packed Till the cows come home at Cadillac Ranch Now we call it the Cadillac Ranch They're parking cars in the old bee patch There's a bar in the barn and the place stays packed Till the cows come home at Cadillac Ranch In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sitting on a bench at West Town Mall. He sat down in his overalls and asked me, Are you waiting on a woman? I nodded, yeah, and said, How about I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi said, Minute, all 60 of them. I've got a Georgia native. Um, Wynn Barble, such a great singer-songwriter, such a great guy, on the phone with me. Uh, Wynn, let's talk. You know, I wrote "Waiting on a Waiting on Joe," 
Where did yeah. Waiting on a Woman come from? Man, I got the idea for that song <clears throat> sitting in the truck. Waiting on my wife to get ready to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> like it just slipped up on her again, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, my gosh, really? She knows this is coming every week. And yeah. I'm just, and we're, we're just, you know, coming in right at the last minute. But, uh, yeah, I wrote that idea down in my book. And um, I just kind of had a ring to it. And um, I, I was... Be honest with you, I thought it was probably a mid to up tempo kind of fun thing. Um, and one morning I was going in to write with my buddy Don Sampson, and uh, we had started a song we were going to finish. And um, I got a call from a buddy of mine down in Florida that said this guy that we used to work with, this old guy, he was he was fixing to pass. He they had him in the hospital, hooked up to all kind of tubes and stuff. And he said, if you want to talk to old Dan, you better call him. So I called him and i hmm. said uh this is after i'd had that idea written down for about a year you know and uh so i called dan and i asked him about his wife and he said oh i told her to go home ain't nothing she could do and i don't know you know it's just like i knew how much she meant to him wow and uh i hung up the phone knowing i'd never talk to him again probably and uh hmm. i don't know it's like god just said this is how you write that song and it just popped in my head and yeah. I went in and I told Don, I said, hey, check this out, you know. And so I don't I don't think we ever finished that other song we was working on before <laughs> that. But uh, we, we wrote that that day. And um, I went over to play it <clears throat> for my publisher. And I sat down with a guitar and I kind of fumbled through the chords and, you know, trying to read a scratched out lyric sheet. And uh, <laughs> Chris Lacey, I, do you know Chris? Yeah, of course, uh, yeah. She's, she's been in publishing in A&R, and she's just she's heard like a gazillion songs. She's got a pretty hard shell. Yeah. And I looked up after I finished the song, and she had tears rolling down her face. And I thought, well, Game on. that's a good sign, because yeah. she, she's tough, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I called Don. I said, we might have something. So uh, Brad put it on hold right away, uh, and uh, he wanted his first idea was to get Andy Griffith to be in the video. And, yeah. Um, Love so it. then, you know, that record came and went. It wasn't a single. And I thought, well, that sucks. And uh, so Brad called the house one day, and he was, uh, we were fixing to go to the drive-in movies over in Lewisburg. And he said, hey, man, I just want to tell you why that song wasn't a single and all this. And I, we, we talked about it, and he said, I still think that song's going to be a hit. And I thought, well, how's it going to be a hit? You're on the next record, and it ain't on that. You know? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> So when they went back and, and uh, reordered the second batch of that next record, he put it on there as a bonus track, and it was the next single. And uh, Wow. He kept his word. You know, I, I don't think I've ever heard it. And then it was on like three albums in a row after that. So Wow, you're kidding. Really don't, wow. <laughs> no, it was because he had the original version, and he had him and Andy's version on some on that duet record he did. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It was on something else, and I was just, dang, we've called it waiting on a single for a while. Yeah, <laughs> it's it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you wrote yourself into that one. <laughs> you, <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, you know, it's funny. You talk about waiting on a woman at church. I don't know what it is. Every week, I've got two of them. I've got a seventeen-year-old daughter, a baby girl who's not a baby. Oh, she's eighteen now. She just turned eighteen, and and waiting on the two of them for church every Sunday is just like you can count. You can write it. You can write it down, baby. It's going to happen. And uh, oh yeah, 
It's isn't it crazy how it takes you. You spend all this time. I love I love hearing for our listeners to understand. You think that there, you just get this idea pops up. Those things sw- swam in your head for you're talking a year. Have you forgotten? Yeah. Took a while before you guys finally before it sort of writes itself. Man, you just the patience. Is that something that you I, okay? I was I was never good at patience, uh, you know, and I, that was not a virtue that was bestowed upon me at any point. Oh, I've I'm learned not, it. I'm not but as songwriters, you really got to learn. Don't let me fool you by that story. It's just you know, I write ideas. I, if I have a song idea, I'm sure like you do. You know, you got them on, on the pad or on your phone nowadays, and and they just you know, and then you get somewhere and you think and you just kind of let it sit and, and and simmer a little while and. You know, some days I'll, I'll have an idea on the way to a write, and uh, and I'll end up writing it that day. If I think it's a great idea, I don't. I'm not one to save ideas for different people, or you know. I mean, I just figure if it came into my head that day, then it's meant for me to write that day. But waiting on a woman, it never was. It, it never came to me how to write that title, and hmm. until it did, and then when it did. I love it. Hey, do you do you feel like sometimes when you have a title that you had, there's something that was that was brought on <clears throat> by some real emotion and, and, and a real experience? Sometimes you get cornered into a title. Sometimes it's best to write to the title with just a an emotion that brings you in, into the room. I mean, uh, or just just like I said, you've had the patience to to wait on it until it was ready to do it do it do it on its own you know i always feel like a song writes itself when it's ready but um do you feel like yeah, I, that- guess, uh, I guess the longer i've been doing it the long the, the more I've, I've, I've you know i'm willing to wait yeah and i might have a great title that you know you feel like you're about to write in your pants you know right right and, uh, <laughs> so um but if it ain't there and you write it i, I guess i've learned over the years that if you if you don't write it right; it's a waste of a good idea. So, I don't. I don't mind letting them simmer. And, and if, if the guy I'm writing with this morning, or later if I'm writing with an artist and he don't get it, then I'm not going to try to write it with him. Right. I just wait till somebody gets it. You know. No, no, or no. I, or I write it by myself. You know? So tell me if you. I, I love this because we we're pals with Mark Allen Springer, and Mark and Allen and I had a lot of success together. I mean, he was a big mentor yeah. of mine. Have you uh, always? I, I'm I always throw him under the bus. I love it because he's he's not here with me right now, and so I can do that. <laughs> so did you? Have you guys ever? You know, Mark's a very patient writer, like to the stream where there's. Uh, you have to go shopping with him. You got to build something with him, and. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking to Kerry Kirk Phillips. I said, did you ever experience that? He goes, man, I ran from that. But, but, uh, you know, AJ masters and myself, and I mean, there were so many of us, you know, that, that, that were mentored by Mark Allen. And if you were going to be mentored by him, you either had to play basketball with him, which I love doing and, or go build something at his house, which I didn't love doing. <laughs> so when you and Mark, have you and Mark ever, uh, spent time writing together? Me and Mark have written a couple of songs together. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, Kerry Coke Phillips is pretty, pretty slow and patient too. You know? Yeah. And, uh, that's probably where he gets it from, I guess. But, um, KK, I just talked to him. Me and him went in on the stock trailer together because we're both in the cow business. And, uh, so anyway, he's, uh, he's a very patient guy. I'm a very patient guy, but, um, I, 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 
I'm, I'm a little, I like to think I'm a little quicker than that. Like, I'm not patient enough to spend a year writing a song. I'll, I'll let an idea simmer for a year. Or I'll go back and visit the idea or a song five or six times. But, I mean, most of the things I've had success with kind of just pop out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there are songs that you have to work on and, and hammer, and, and but most of the ones I've had success with just kind of, like you said, they write themselves. And, yeah. No um, we, we, me and uh, Don and Roy, wrote, I'm a little more country than that. We were just kind of like at the lake uh, writing for this kid named Blaine Larson, and we wrote that song one afternoon, and nobody thought anything about it. And I went in to do a demo session. I had an extra spot, and I thought, well, I'll throw this thing on there, you know. And <laughs> I wasn't even, I thought it's a pretty good song, you know. And then when we demoed it, it just came to life, and they didn't even show up for the demo. I went on and sang it, and uh, <laughs> five years went by, and finally Eastern Corbin, you know, Carson Chamberlain called me and goes, hey, I cut that phone as kid. And I said, well, go ahead. I said, ain't nobody else beating the door down. Five years. You time. got your five-year number again. Everything's five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, that's a, you know, it's just, you just, we're not great judges on our songs, really. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm just, uh, I think something's great and it'll never get cut. And then I think something's just kind of, so so, and people are fighting over it. I'm like, hell, I, I can't figure this mess out. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking to Win Barble, and he, I, we're not gonna figure it out together because the two of us, our minds, our minds aren't getting much further down the road than one of them. Hey, so right. I love it. So, so when when you're writing with an artist writer, a true artist writer like Daryl, who's got great energy, so Daryl's ready to get up and go. Is it a little yeah. bit infectious? Does it help you? Uh, like this there's just this you know he it's a spirit about, about a guy like daryl you know and most artists that and 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 even i know i'm i'm wilder than most i know i've got more energy than a lot and, <laughs> and, and compared to my buddy neil cody i'm a valium I, I say that he's he's chewing on coffee beans and ch- chocolate covered coffee beans i said i need those not you and uh <laughs> yeah i love we're talking to the fabulous win barble you're in a mississippi minute He's in a parking lot being a good husband, getting his wife's car <laughs> taken care of. We're going to be right back. Oh, well. hey. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I hear people say we don't need this war, but I say there's some things worth fighting for. What about our freedom and this piece of ground? We didn't get to keep them by backing down. They say we don't realize the mess we're getting in. I'm Steve Azar. We are with hit songwriter, multiple, multiple hit songwriter, Wynn Barble. Let's talk about with the deals that go down these days, record labels, and we have streaming versus sales gone. Record labels, their hands are in the, the whole pot now. So 
you're dealing with the reality, right, of an artist is better off if they've got their own songs, even if they co-wrote them or whatever, because it gives a record label more incentive. Is that, do you feel like you're, are you noticing that? Um, yeah, but you know, there's there's a lot of, there's still a lot of outside songs getting cut and by outside songs for the listeners. I mean, songs that, that the artist didn't have anything to do with writing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of artists these days are just looking for hits. Uh, I had a few <clears throat> songs on this Cody Johnson kid who is just a great guy, cowboy kind of kid, you know, and he's just, uh, he's really exploding. He just did a big deal with Warner. And he's he he was wanting to write. We wrote a song called "Me and My Kind" that was a big hit for him. Uh, <clears throat> all of a sudden, he's like on this new record. He didn't he wasn't worried about writing a bunch of songs. He said, "Just send me some songs." He's busy, man. He's up. You know how it is. You get out on the road, and um, I don't think I don't think he's that's his priority anymore. If he comes up with a great song. I mean, he's a good writer. He, he can come up with songs, but with all the hoops he's got to jump through out there on the road, I'm sure he's just like, "Hey, I just I'll just sing them. Y'all write them." You know. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know, I never got to that point. For for me, when it was always, I mean, it was something about the only reason I ever wanted to do it was because I loved to write, and I, I the the feeling of getting to take it to the next level and play it for people was another a big big chunk of satisfaction for me so they became yeah. a one-two punch for me and then obviously all the stuff in between making a record going out doing all the radio stuff and going on the road all, all that stuff was the stuff in between but the bottom line for me it was writing it and getting to play it for for a people it's always been that and there's all that stuff in the middle and so well you know how it is though steve when you get like you take cody for instance just for an example here he had his you got your whole life to write that first record you know yeah and and maybe you got a lot of songs left over for the second record the time you get the third or fourth record i mean you're out there doing your thing and you just don't have as much time as you used to and writing takes a lot of time i mean if you're going to do it right you gotta you gotta sit down and you gotta write as you well know you gotta write 40 songs to get five that are great you oh know? you got to do it there's no doubt and uh you know i mean it's just like dang i mean if i was an artist and i didn't have to write i wouldn't write i, I mean i just get out there and do my shows and shake hands and throw babies up there and yeah you know sign babies heads thing. done it all did you ever expi- aspire to be an artist yourself i mean like to be out in front or never um well i did a deal with sony back about 2000, somewhere along in there. I went over there to play him some songs, and uh, there was a guy over there named Anthony Martin that was an A&R guy, and he said, uh, he said, hold on a minute. He went out. I was just on my lunch break. I was over riding across the road at EMI, and he said, hold on a minute. And he went back and got some other people, and he came back, and he said, play those songs again. And, and next thing I knew, they signed me to a record deal. <laughs> and uh it was more like a like i was i was kind of there was a lot i've always written a lot of fun songs with humor and stuff and you know there's not a big market for those songs out there anymore so uh he he said man let's do this thing you know and so i spent about three years over at sony uh i made a record and 
like old Harley used to say, they kept the record and released me. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it was uh, it was interesting because I got to see uh, the music business from the other side, from the artist side. As far as, you know, songs and why songs don't get cut, I used to, you know, get have a song passed on by an artist. They'd hold it for a year, and then they wouldn't cut it, and I was like, it used to make me so dang mad, and I just thought, you know what? When you're when you're on the artist side, you realize there's a million reasons that a song don't get cut. Yeah. I mean, you might have something just like it. You might have, you know, it's just uh, just a hundred reasons, you know. And it's like, well, I get it now, you know. So yeah. I don't get upset anymore when somebody <laughs> don't cut one of my songs. Hey, I can't thank you enough for spending a Mississippi minute with me. Uh, I mean, I, I know our listeners are going to dig this and have dug this conversation. We have been with the just wonderful, wonderful, soulful, heartfelt, good dude in Wynn Varble. And uh, Wynn, I appreciate you, brother. Well, I appreciate you having me, Steve. And next time you're up in Nashville, holler. I'm not going. No, okay, I will. I promise. I promise. I promise. <laughs> Thank you, brother. All right, man. See you, buddy. I'm Steve Azar, in a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.